You're listening to a sermon podcast from Sovereign Grace Church in Bradford, Ontario. For more info, visit sovgracechurch.ca. Well, if you could please open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5. We'll be spending our time in Ephesians 5 today as we uh, do one more sermon in this kind of mini-series on marriage, uh, which is contained within this broader series called Gospel Foundations. If you're curious about what the plan is for the next couple Sundays, uh, next Sunday I'll be preaching on singleness. I figure that after five Sundays in marriage, I owe at least one sermon to the singles, and uh, we will show you uh, how to think through your singleness in a gospel-centered way. Following that Sunday, we'll, we'll do uh, one more sermon in Gospel Foundations to wrap things up, and uh, then we'll have some other plans for the rest of the summer. Uh, what we'll likely be doing is uh, spending time in the Psalms, uh, end of July and through the month of August. We'll have a couple of guest preachers in August as well, as I take some time off to spend time with uh, what we're uh, assuming will be the addition of our sixth child, uh, he is due um, August 9th, but as has been the pattern for the Tong boys in our family, they tend to come a little bit early. So we're expecting him to come the end of July, and then uh, Nina and I will be spending some time just adjusting to a radical new normal and uh, figuring out how to, to love this, uh, this blessing from God uh, as uh, any one of our other children. So that's uh, what the rest of the summer is going to look like. Now, no series on marriage would be complete without a, a treatment of Ephesians chapter five. Uh, this is the New Testament's most extensive treatment of marriage. And you could say that it is the most important passage about marriage in the entire scriptures. If, if we are to have healthy marriages, we need to understand this text and we need to figure out how to apply it to our day-to-day Lives. It contains many of the themes that we've already explored in our previous sermons on marriage, sermons from Genesis 2 and Genesis 3 and from 1 Peter chapter 3. Themes like the husband's role as the head, uh, the wife's responsibility to help him to be the head through her submission. Themes like the intimacy of their one flesh union and the centrality of respect in the marriage relationship. What's unique about this text of scripture and what it adds to how we understand marriage is its treatment of love. Its treatment of love. And what's, what's surprising, the first thing that we should notice about this text is that it says that the person who carries the primary responsibility for uh, bringing in a culture of love in the marriage and in the home is the husband. It's the husband. That's not what most of us would expect. We tend to say, well, the husband is the practical one. The wife is the relational one. Or we joke that the husband is the head, but the wife is the heart. But, but here, Paul explains that, that it is the husband who is to be the head and the heart, or at the very least, leading the way when it comes to the matters of the heart. 
We live in a time, as we've already seen over the past several Sundays, that, that there is so much confusion about masculinity that when we think about what makes a man a man, all the, the attributes that characterize masculinity, love is probably pretty far down the list, if it's even on that list at all. Some of us think about men as being practical or handy. Others may think of men as being decisive and confident. But here in Ephesians chapter five, the Bible says that the the essence of masculinity, especially as expressed in marriage, is love. A love that is humble, a love that is committed, a love that is self-sacrificing. And so what we're gonna do today is focus on what this text says about how a husband is meant to love his wife. I'm gonna be reading the passage that refers to wives submitting to their husbands, but we're not gonna be spending much time there at all, partly because we've already addressed that in previous sermons, but also because I'm convinced that if men learn how to love their wives in the way that Ephesians 5 describes it, then it won't be so difficult for wives to follow their husbands. It is is no coincidence that in the Greek, uh, Paul spends 40 words, 40 Greek words addressing women, and then he spends 115 words expressing the men, almost triple, because we need it, but also because we're meant to be leading the way. And so he addresses the leader so that he can lead his wife in the way that would glorify Christ. And so let's read our text together. We'll be reading Ephesians 5, verses 22 to 33. This is the word of the Lord. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. The husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. The title of this sermon is A Husband's Love. A Husband's Love. We're gonna be looking at three elements of how Ephesians 5 calls husbands to love their wives. First, it's a personal love. Second, it's a sanctifying love. And third, it is a cherishing love. Let's look at our first point, personal love. Now, the first thing that we notice about our text is that 
this passage of scripture is not just about marriage. It is actually just as much about Christ. Christ is referred to six times from verses 21 to 33. And that is because uh, Paul is writing about marriage uh, by showing us that, that it is only through Christ that we understand how marriage is meant to function and what marriage is meant to look like. Uh, wives are meant to look to Christ and the relationship of the church to Christ to understand the nature of submission. And husbands are to look similarly to Christ and his relationship to the church in understanding what it means to love their wives. Now this means, just as a first principle, and it may seem obvious, but we cannot ignore this, that the, it means that the more we know Christ, the more we will know how to function within marriage. That's, that's the first principle in this text, that there is a, a direct correlation between the extent to which we know Christ, love Christ, bring Christ into our lives, and the extent to which we practice healthy marriages. What we need in marriage, whether you are starting off in marriage or whether you are decades into your marriage, what, what we need is not more self-help books or how-to seminars. We need more of Christ. Books and seminars and conferences, they can be helpful, but only to the extent that they show us that they reveal more of Christ to us and how his distinct, divine, supernatural, unprecedented love is meant to shape and characterize our marriages. So husbands, if you are to love your wives, your greatest need is to know Jesus. Your greatest need is to know his love for the church and his love for you personally as one who is a member of the church. And that is what Paul addresses first in verse 25. He says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Men, you're not gonna know how to love your wife as Christ loved the church if you don't know how Christ loved the church. And, and that's just, not just a matter of intellectual knowledge. Okay, it's not just, oh, I can, I can recite how Christ loved the church. It's not a matter of, of repeating doctrinal convictions or propositions. It's a matter of experiencing that love, receiving that love, and, and, and letting that love shape who you are and how you live. The more you are moved by the love of Christ for you, the more you will be moved to love your wife. That's not something that happens once in your lifetime, as if, oh, I, I, I know Christ's love now, and, and now everything's gonna fall in place in life. Because we forget. But by nature, by, by our fallen sinful nature, we, we forget what we once knew, or what we once believed with, with full-hearted, full-throated conviction, we, we water down over time. That's just the nature of sin. Sin erodes our once vibrant faith and our knowledge of Christ's love for us. This is something that is meant to happen regularly. This experience and receiving and knowledge of the love of Christ. We must revisit again and again the love of Christ. 
And we, we, we neglect to lift our eyes to the cross and marvel at the reality that Jesus bled and died for sinners like us. When we do that, we do that to the detriment of our marriages. So men, if you wanna stay close to your wife, the best thing you can do is stay close to Jesus because the more you know his love, the more you will be freed up and empowered to love your wife. How do you do that? How do you stay close to Jesus? Well, it's not rocket science, we know it, we just neglect to practice it. We, we, we stay close to Jesus through the word of God and prayer. I mean, those are the primary means of facilitating our relationship with Jesus. We, we read the word, not just to understand it, but to encounter Christ within it. Whether you're talking about the Old Testament or the New Testament, all of scripture points to Christ and we won't encounter Christ apart from the scriptures. We, we grow close to Jesus through our, our prayer life as we commune with him, as we talk to him, as we worship him through our prayers. We, we grow close to Jesus as we meditate on the cross. Not just about what it means for the world, but what it means for you. Uh, I make it a daily habit, a daily practice to meditate on the wonder of my own personal conversion. You know, it doesn't matter if you grew up in a Christian family, all of us at some point needed to be converted. We needed to be born again from spiritual death and raised to spiritual life. And that is an expression of Christ's love, not only for the church out there, but for you, for your soul. We fix the eyes of our hearts regularly on the love of Christ shown to sinners like us. And when we do, we begin to understand the extent to which Christ loved us. And we begin to see actually a stunning truth in verse 25. It says that Christ loved the church and gave himself, gave himself for her. The nature of Christ's love is not a distant love. It is not an impersonal love. Jesus loved us up close and personally by giving us himself. His love was a personal love as he took our sins and placed them not upon one of his servants, but upon himself. He, he came personally and he died personally to establish a personal relationship with you. That is how much he loves us. He, he laid down his own life out of his love for you. And husbands, we are called to love our wives in the same way, to love with a personal love. And my concern is that we focus on loving our wives by giving her things or by giving her our ideas and thoughts, but we never give her ourselves. There's nothing wrong with giving gifts or sharing our thoughts. Indeed, those, those are the kinds of things that, that can be used to express our love, but they are not the essence of love. We cherish our wives by showing them how much we are thinking about them and how much we wanna engage with them. But if, if you're just giving gifts or just sharing your thoughts, at the end of the day, I wonder if you asked your wife the question, does she believe that you have given her yourself? What would she say? 
Well, if we try to answer that as men, we might say, well, of course I'm giving her myself because all I'm doing at work is to put food on the table and to provide for my family. All those long hours at work I'm doing for the sake of my family. Or we may assume that, well, if, if I'm, I'm engaging in the decision-making in the household, of course I'm giving her myself because I'm giving her my time and my attention. Well, men, those are expressions of love, but they are not the essence. The essence of love is found in how Jesus loved the church. Yes, he loves us by leading us. Yes, he loves us by providing for us. Indeed, he provided for our greatest need, the, the need that only he could provide for, the need for satisfaction for our sin. But why did he do that? Why did he lead us and forgive us and die for us? It was so that he could bring us to himself. Christ gave himself to bring us to himself. First Peter 3 verse 18 says, for Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. Our forgiveness, the death of Christ that washed away our sins, as glorious as that is, was not the ultimate point of it all. The point of it was to bring us to Jesus, into a right relationship with him. We see that in our text in verse 27. It says that Jesus gave himself for her that he might present the church to himself in splendor. He's presenting the church to himself. Love brought Christ to us and love brings us to him. He, he suffered for our sins not as an end in itself but as a means to the greater end of presenting us to himself. We, we miss this whenever we say that Jesus died to give me eternal life. That, that's, that's not the point. Living forever is not the point. The point is eternal life with him, with him. Heaven is only valuable because of who lives there, who we will be spending eternity with in fellowship. So husbands, we are called to love our wives in the same way. We are called to give ourselves for our wives to bring our wives to ourselves. Are we doing that? Are we loving her in such a way that we are bringing her to ourselves? Are you opening up your life to her so that she doesn't just know what you're doing? She knows who you are. Are you, are you talking just about what's going on out there in the big bad world? Or are you talking about what's going on in here? Revealing your most personal, intimate thoughts with her. For us to love as Christ loved the church, a husband must love by giving of himself. And everything else that we do, providing for her, caring for her, leading her, they, they, are, they are means to the greater end of strengthening and deepening your relationship so that you bring her into your heart. And as you do, she responds to your love with her own. We love our wives with a personal love in the same way that Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. The second way that husbands are to love their wives as Christ loved the church is to love her with a sanctifying love, with a sanctifying love. Now, many of you know what sanctification means, but some of you may not. And even those who do know, they may be confused at times. 
This is one of those theological words that we need to be very careful to define accurately. Sanctification is the gradual process of growing in godliness. It is, it is the process in which you grow so that you are less and less inclined to sin and more and more inclined to righteousness. It is putting off the old self that is selfish, that is rebellious against God, that, that does not seek the needs of others before your own. And it's putting that off and putting on the new self, which is created in Christ Jesus to live a life characterized and defined by love. That's what sanctification looks like. It is growing in godliness. It is becoming more like Jesus. Now, sanctification is not the basis of our relationship with God. God doesn't love us because we are sanctified or to the extent to which we are sanctified. It is not the basis of our relationship. It is the result of our relationship with God. God doesn't love us because we are sanctified. We are sanctified because he loves us. That is a crucial distinction. Your sanctification is never the basis of your relationship with God. It may affect your experience of that relationship because when you're sinning and you're not repenting, you grieve the spirit. And he may discipline you by withdrawing his presence from you. I mean, I I was doing that earlier this week with my son, Benjamin. Uh, We were... We were uh, swimming at the Graham's house, and uh, while we were talking, he had taken a big chunk of rock, and he just tossed it into the swimming pool. Okay, it was a very boyish thing to do, and there wasn't anything necessarily wrong with that. But when I asked him, Benjamin, what did you throw into the swimming pool? He said, uh-huh, uh-huh. Did, did you throw the rock into the swimming pool? Uh-huh. I said, Benjamin, if you know the answer, but you say that you don't know the answer, you're lying. And so the next day, we're revisiting this issue. And I said, Benjamin, what did you throw into the swimming pool? And he gave me the silent treatment. He just kind of stared off into the distance, and he zoned out, and he ignored my question. And I said to him, Benjamin, until you confess what you did, even though I know, what, I, I know what you did, but until you confess, our relationship can't be right. I'm, I'm still gonna put food before you, I'm still gonna feed you, uh, I'm still gonna make sure that you are safe, but our relationship is, is, there's gonna be a wedge between us. And so after we finished lunch and I was getting ready to take him upstairs to put him down for a nap, I told him, you know, I'm not gonna be able to read stories with you until you confess. So as I approached him, he just said, Daddy, I'm sorry for lying. And I just gave him a hug and I, for, and I forgave him. I mean, it's the same with God. You know, when, when we sin against God, it doesn't change our status before him. You know, Benjamin didn't stop being my son when he lied. But it does affect our relationship. And for the relationship to be made right, there has to be repentance, there has to be confession, and there has to be the, the offering and receiving of forgiveness. And so, our sanctification is not the basis of our relationship with God, it is the result of our relationship with God. God doesn't love us because we are sanctified, he sanctifies us because he loves us. Just as any 
parent would love their child. You're not correcting them and leading them to live a better way uh, because you hate them. You're doing that because you love them. We see, we see that, that order of love first and then sanctification in our text, verses 25 to 26. Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her. And so what we see is Jesus didn't die for a sanctified bride. He, he died in order to sanctify his bride when he, when he came for her. There was nothing in her that deserved his love. She was selfish, she was godless, she was corrupt, she was running in the opposite direction. But he still came for her. He still came for her. He gave his life and he gave his love for a bride who didn't deserve it. And husbands, this is one of the most important and difficult lessons for us to learn. Because our tendency is to to only give love when we think that she deserves it. And when we don't think she deserves it, we withhold it. We, we withdraw, we, we fail to engage relationally, we, we don't find meaningful ways to express our love. Our love is a function of justice rather than mercy. But that's not how Jesus loved us. He loved us even when we didn't deserve it. He, he gave himself to us even when we wanted nothing to do with him. If we are to love our wives as Christ loved the church, we must love her even when she is not loving us in return. Jesus loves us just as we are, but we, he also loves us too much to let us remain as we are. And so having redeemed his bride, he sets to work to sanctify her, and that's described so beautifully in verses 26 to 27. Christ gave himself for her that he might sanctify her having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. Now, before we apply that to marriage, let's, let's stop and realize that, that if you're a Christian, whether you are married or single, this is describing your glorious future. This is about you. It, you are part of the redeemed body of believers, sinners who have been called saints and brought into the church, the very bride of Christ. And, and this is your glorious future. Right now, when we look at our lives, we may be stained with sin. But the day is coming when we will stand with all the saints across the centuries and across the nations before Christ himself without a single blemish. We will be washed by the water of the word of Christ, which is the gospel, and we will stand before him in splendor, a, a beautiful, spotless, holy bride presented to her loving husband. Christ is the one who does the work of sanctification. He, he works in us and he works with us. All right, that's one difference between justification and sanctification. Justification is fully a work of God. Sanctification is done in us and through us and with us. If you don't read your Bible, you're not going to be sanctified. If you don't take efforts to put sin to death, you're not going to be sanctified. Christ sanctifies us by working in us, through us, and with us. 
But as is often the case, even though the work remains with Christ himself, he, he chooses to use means. And one of the means that he has chosen is a husband's, lo- uh, a husband's love for his wife. That, is, that much is clear in verse 28 where Paul writes, immediately after he describes Christ sanctifying the church, he says, in the same way, husbands should love their wives. You love her the way that Christ loved the church. We are to love our wives in the same way that Christ loved the church by sanctifying her. We are to pursue the sanctification of our wives just as Christ pursued the sanctification of the church. Ray Ortland writes in his book, Marriage and the Mystery of the Gospel, the Christian husband should actively love his wife toward magnificence. I love that. He, he sees who she truly is in Christ and who she will be on that day. And he says, that is the work of Christ. But right now I have the privilege of, of working with Christ to lead her a little closer to that glorious future. Well, how do we do that? How do we love our wives toward magnificence? Well, in the same way that Jesus loves us towards magnificence, by cleansing her with the washing of the word. By cleansing her with the washing of the word. That's what verse 26 says. He might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. Husbands, we are to lead her to the word. And we are to lead her in the word. We are to take her to the source of God's sanctifying power that is found in the scriptures and in the scriptures alone. Because even though this may be hard for you to acknowledge because we like to solve problems ourselves and in our own strength, you are completely, absolutely powerless to change your wife. At least in any lasting, God-glorifying, Christ-displaying way. Any change you bring will be superficial and perhaps even harmful if you are operating without the word. We are powerless to bring about any lasting sanctification in her life. The only thing we can do is lead her to the true source of transformation and sanctification, which is the word of God. And so when Jesus prayed for the church in John chapter 17, in the the great high priestly prayer, he's praying for the church. He says, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Sanctification doesn't happen apart from God's word. So if you're a husband and if you love your wife, you'll, you'll want to bring her to the word that she might be washed by it. There are many ways that this can be done. I mean, this doesn't necessarily mean that you're reading the Bible with her every day, but it could mean that. And that could be a helpful way to wash her with the word. But it, it, could, it could also mean as you're making decisions or when you're comforting her in her discouragement, you are bringing the word to bear. It, it could mean something as simple as making sure that she, that she and your family are going to a church where she's gonna be fed, where the word is faithfully taught and proclaimed so that she can see more of Christ in the scriptures. That's all part of how you lead her spiritually. Now, let me be clear. 
your spiritual leadership is not necessary for her spiritual growth. Okay, it's not necessary. None of us are necessary to one another's spiritual growth. The work is Christ and Christ alone. And, and the, the wonderful thing about the Christian life is that she can have a vibrant relationship with God without you. Okay, she doesn't need you. But if you are to love her as Christ loved the church, this is necessary. It is not necessary to her sanctification, but it is necessary to the way in which you love her as Christ loved the church. There will be something missing in your love for her if, you're, if you don't care about her sanctification. Or there, there will be something missing in your love if you do care about her sanctification, but you're taking her to the wrong sources. We take her to the word for the joy of her own soul that she may rejoice in Christ and in her walk with him. Men, this is another reminder of why the strength of your marriage depends on the strength of your relationship with God. You're not gonna have much of the word to bring her if the word isn't filling your own heart. Sanctifying others always begins with your own sanctification. And I can say that from firsthand experience. As a pastor, I know what it's like when I'm trying to counsel people, encourage people, wash people with the word when I'm running with an empty tank. It just feels like I got, I got nothing to give this person. And any words that I say, I have no confidence that they're gonna make any difference. But I also know what it's like to, to operate on a, on a full tank, where, where the words that I speak are God's words, and I have confidence that God's word will make a difference in their lives, no matter how hopeless the situation might be. And so the more you are receiving from the Lord, the more you will have to give to others, including your wife. Husbands, we are to love our wives personally, and we are to love our wives in a way that sanctifies them. And third, we are to love our wives with a cherishing love, with a cherishing love. In verses 28 to 29, Paul expands on what it looks like for husbands to love their wives as Christ loved the church. He says, in the same way husbands should love their wives as their own bodies, he who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it. Now, if you've been here over the past few Sundays, you should be hearing echoes of Genesis chapter two in these verses. And in fact, Paul quotes Genesis two verse 24 a little later on, showing that this is, this is in the forefront of his mind as he's thinking about marriage. Paul is showing us that, that the definition of marriage in Genesis chapter two as a one flesh union, that the two become one, that, that definition at the time of creation continues to apply in the New Testament era and in our time. We live in the New Testament era. And he also shows us that the, the one flesh union, it's not just a sentimental way to describe marriage. It's not, it's not just a theoretical idea. It is a reality that has profound implications on how a husband treats his wife. He is to identify so closely to her that loving her can actually mean loving himself. He is to care for her body as his own. So that so there, there really is no difference between him and her. When he loves her, he is loving himself. 
You could say he is to fulfill the command to love your neighbor as yourself with the closest neighbor he will ever have. And as verse 29 says, he is to nourish and cherish her as his own body. The the word nourish here means to develop, to nurture, to lift up. It's it's similar, I I, I believe, to sanctification. You're you're helping her to grow in spiritual maturity. And you're you're caring for her needs, physical and spiritual, nurturing her as you would nourish yourself. But the more striking word in verse 29 is the word cherish. It's to cherish her. To cherish, the Greek word here literally means to warm, to warm, to to treat her with such tenderness that she is warmed by the comfort of his presence and care. The only other time in the New Testament where this word is used is in Paul's letter to the Thessalonians when he describes his relationship to them as like a nursing mother taking care of her children. That word taking care of is cherish. A nursing mother cherishing her children. That is is the meaning of the word here that that a husband is to cherish his wife. Like Like a loving mother with her children. A husband is to hold his wife in his arms and keep her safe and warm. Husbands, do you, do you cherish your wife? I'm not talking about whether you cherish her in your heart. I'm talking about whether you love her in such a way that she knows that you cherish her. You, you cherish her by the words that you say to her. You cherish her by what you say about her in front of others. You, you cherish her by giving your undivided attention to her and not being distracted when she's trying to talk to you. You cherish her by, by giving her yourself and opening up your heart so that she doesn't just know what you're doing. She knows who you are. The need to cherish your wife is a constant theme in scripture. You know Proverbs 31, the description of the godly woman the wise woman who fears the Lord. Well, there it says, her children rise up and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praises her. Many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all. Men, are you, are you doing that? Are you praising your wife and praising her in front of others? Are you publicly honoring her? We saw that language in 1 Peter chapter 3 last Sunday when Pastor Tim was focusing on what it means to honor your wife. Live with your wives in an understanding way, honoring her as the weaker vessel. He is to care for her and speak to her in such a way that she feels cherished and honored. Or as Pastor Tim put it, he said, the husband is called to make his wife feel that she is precious beyond words. Man, this is, this is an amazing love. And I think if we are honest, we have to admit that we have fallen short of this because we, we cannot see what is closest to our eyes. We, we take it for granted. But the call for us, if we are to love our wives as Christ loved the church, is to nourish her and cherish her. As Paul shows us yet again, this, this cherishing, it doesn't come from, from ourselves or from the model of the best marriage that the world has ever seen. It comes from the way that Christ has loved the church. Look at verse 29. 
For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Christ cherishes the church. If you're part of the church, I mean, you don't have to be part of this local church to be part of the church. There's capital C church, which is made up of all believers across all nations and all times. They're all part of the bride of Christ. And there's lower C church, local churches. If you're part of the capital C church, you're meant to be part of the lower C church. But this is, this is saying something that is true of everyone who is part of the capital C church. So Paul has, has, has given us three commands on how to love our wives. Give her yourself, sanctify her, cherish her. And beside those commands, he's given us three parallels to how Christ has loved the church. Husbands give themselves to their wives as Christ gave himself for the church. Husbands sanctify their wives as Christ sanctified the church. And husbands cherish their wives as Christ cherishes the church. Without question, the Bible teaches that the gospel, what Christ has done for the church is the paradigm for marriage. The more you understand and embrace the gospel, the more you will understand what marriage is meant to look like and how it is meant to function. But as great as that truth may be, it is not the ultimate point here. Paul's got something else for us. There's something even more wonderful here as Paul reaches the climax of this passage in verses 31 to 32. In verse 31, he quotes Genesis 2.24, that foundational verse about marriage. Man shall leave his father and mother, hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And then he says... This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. If we say that the gospel is a picture for marriage, that marriage is the reality, and what shapes that reality is a reference to the gospel, we've actually missed the whole point. The gospel isn't a picture of marriage. Marriage is a picture of the gospel. The reason why marriage exists is to put the gospel on full display. We, we invest our time and energy into our marriages, yes, because we want to have healthy marriages, but ultimately, it's so that we could have a clearer, more beautiful vision of the gospel. The point of building a gospel-centered marriage isn't just so that we can be happy and have healthy marriages. The point of building a gospel-centered marriage is so that we can have a healthy view of the gospel. The gospel doesn't exist to magnify marriage. Marriage exists to magnify the gospel. Again, Ray Ortland so helpfully writes, we should not think that Christ and the church are the metaphor in this passage, but the reverse. Christ and the church are the reality of realities, and our Christian marriages are the metaphors. Friends, do you want to know what the Bible teaches about marriage? The Bible teaches that it is just a metaphor. It is a beautiful metaphor. It is a meaningful metaphor. It is a desirable metaphor, but it is just a metaphor. It is a shadow of the true reality that is Christ's love for the church. You've ever wondered why, why there's no marriage in heaven? I mean, that's why. Because there's no more 
reason for the metaphor when we have the real thing. There's no more reason for the shadow when we can gaze upon the the ultimate true beauty of the love between Christ and the church. We're not gonna need human marriage any longer because we will all be experiencing the true marriage between Christ and the church. And, And that is an infinitely more satisfying, desirable, beautiful relationship than any ever any other human relationship we can experience, including marriage. And so if you find yourself hungry for love, I'm not just talking to singles here. I'm talking, about, talking to married people. Because if you're a married person, you know that there will, be, there will be times when you're disappointed with your spouse. And you're not feeling satisfied by your spouse's love. And so there are times when you feel hungry for love. And you may be tempted to feel that that emptiness in your heart can only be satisfied by another person. Then hear Jesus saying to you today, that's not gonna be enough for you. Don't settle for anything less than my love because my love is higher and deeper and wider and longer than any love that you can receive in this world. That is true for everyone here single or married, young or old, happily married or living through a marriage that is in shambles. Everyone here was made to be satisfied by the love of Christ and not the love of other people. Friends, let's not settle for the metaphor when you can have the real thing. Single people, don't pine for the metaphor when you can have the real thing. You can have the deep, deep love of Jesus who gave himself for you, who sanctifies you and who cherishes you. Infinitely better than the best human being could on your wedding day. Let us look to Christ to fill our hearts with his love. And husbands, the challenge for us is to love our wives in the same way. We, we, we can't do that if we are only looking to ourselves, if we're depending on our own resources, but if we look to Christ, if we stay close to him, if we are meditating on his sacrificial death for us and, and his love is filling our hearts, then, then we, are, we will be released into our families, into our marriages, into our households to love, Christ, love our wives the same way as Christ loved the church. Our passage today ends in verse 33. It says, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. If you're anything like me, there will be times when you feel that you can't love your wife until she respects you. You say, well, once she respects me, then I'll love her. But the gospel, it shows us a better way, a harder way, but an infinitely greater way, where respect doesn't lead to love. Love leads to respect. That's how Jesus won our respect. Jesus, he won our respect by loving us when we had no respect for him. I mean, we must love our wives as Christ loved the church, and that means loving her even when it's hard. Loving her with a personal love, loving her with a sanctifying love, loving her with a cherishing love. We must love our wives in these ways, especially when it's hard, because that's exactly how Christ loved us. Your marriage exists to magnify the gospel. So let the gospel transform your marriage and may Christ receive the glory 
in and through our marriages, both now and forevermore. Let's pray. Father, we rejoice in the love Christ has displayed to sinners. We are amazed that the God who created all things, who sustains all things by the word of his power, would give himself for us. Thank you for this love. And uh, we pray that as we seek you, that love would increasingly fill our hearts and spill out in the way that we love others. I pray that especially for the husbands here, that they would love their wives as Christ loved the church. And I pray for any of the wives here who right now they're not feeling encouraged, perhaps they're feeling disappointed and tempted to bitterness because of the ways in which their husbands have failed. I pray that you would help them to show grace and to function as their husband's helper, to help them to love them as Christ loved the church. We pray as we finish this mini-series on marriage that you would do the supernatural work of strengthening the marriages in our church for the glory of Christ, for the lasting legacy of his reputation, the fame of his name, May you be pleased to do this, not for our sake, not for our sake, but for your sake, for your glory, and for our joy. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.